Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Hope. We're glad that you're here. Those of you joining us uh, here in the room, those of you joining us online, we're glad you're with us as well. We'd like to begin our services with this greeting Christians have been using forever, as far as I know. The Lord be with you. Thank you. We believe that's true. I mean, that's why we get together on Sundays. Uh, that's why we tune in when we miss it. Uh, because we believe that the Lord meets us right where we are. And uh, I don't know about you, but on this day when I am short an hour of sleep and everything else that's going on in my life or in the world, I need to know that God is here, that God meets with us. So uh, could you bow your heads with me? Let's pray as we begin. Thank you, God. Thank you for meeting us here. Thank you for this hour when we can center our hearts and our thoughts, our attention, our affections. We can just center ourselves around you and your amazing love for us that you've shown us in Jesus Christ. Please help us through the songs and the scriptures and the prayers and the celebration of communion in, in all that we do, God. Uh, please help us to connect with you, with your heart, with your, with your thoughts, with your view of us and your view of our neighbors and your view of the world so we can see ourselves and others through your eyes, so, we can, uh, so our hearts might be able to beat with yours, so that we might be able to love ourselves and love the people around us uh, the way you love us, the way you love them. God, you help to put all these things in perspective, all the stuff that we go through, all the disagreements we get into, all the fears that we face, all the hurts that we experience. God, all of that kind of takes on a new, a new light uh, in light of your love for us and your presence with us. So please, God, today, would you, would you cement the truth of that uh, like deep into our, into our being, into our minds, into our hearts, uh, the truth of your presence with us, the truth of your love. Thank you, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, if you're able, if you're interested, let's stand and let's sing as we begin.
wash away my sin Nothing but the blood of Jesus And what can make me whole again Nothing but the blood of Jesus And oh precious is the flow That makes me white For my pardon, this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And for my cleansing, this my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Love so amazing. Love so amazing. 
Jesus Messiah, and the name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners, the ransom from hell. Messiah, Lord of all, all our hope is in you, all our hope is in you, all glory to you, God, the light Name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah. From Psalm 33, let the godly sing for joy to the Lord. It is fitting for the pure to praise him. Praise the Lord with melodies on the lyre and make music for him on the ten-stringed harp. Sing a new song of praise to him. Play skillfully on the harp and sing with joy. For the word of the Lord holds true and we can trust everything he does. Amen and amen. Pray with me, would you? Lord, we do praise you this morning. Lord, not all of us can play a harp or a ten-stringed instrument, but Father, we lift our voices to you today. Some of us make joyful noises, myself included. <laughs> Yet, Lord, we ask that you would accept this offering from our hearts in praise and honor and glory to you, Father. We thank you for inviting us into your presence here this morning, for being here before we ever even woke up this morning. You are already here, anticipating being with us and for us being together with each other. I thank you, Lord, for the time we get to spend here with you and, and in, with our family. And Father, I pray that you will bless this time. Bless each person here. Bless Pastor Rich as he brings us your word, the word that you've given him to share with us, Lord. We trust that it is from you. And that you have something for us to learn today. You have something for us to grasp hold of as we go from this place into our weeks, into jobs and lives and families and circumstances, Lord. Some of it really great and some of it not so much. But Father, I thank you that we can trust you to go with us. That nothing is going to happen that's outside of, of your awareness, Lord. Nothing is a surprise to you. And we thank you that you are going to walk through, through it with us, regardless of what it is. Again, be with each one of us this morning. May everything that we say and do, Lord, honor and glorify you above all else. And for all these things, we want to pray them and ask them in your precious name. Amen and amen. And now the peace of the Lord be with you. Take a few moments, if you will, and pass the peace amongst yourselves. I feel for those of you who join us online that you can't be here during this time to have your hands shaken and the smiles and the hugs and the coffee and whatever else. So 
uh, please do let us know that you're with us. Uh, check in in the comments or something, uh, or go to livinghope.info slash connect, and let us know how we can be praying for you or thanking God with you, any of that sort of thing, because we would love to connect with you and uh, are kind of bummed that we can't connect with you here this morning. I know some of you uh, watch because of just life situations. You can't get out, uh, and so you watch online, and uh, we're glad that you do. Uh, some of you, you're traveling or on vacation or those kinds of things, and so you, you catch up uh, at some point. Um, but regardless, we're glad that you're with us, and we're glad that, that you're here too. Um, I was just telling the folks online that uh, they can go to livinghope.info slash connect and, uh, and let us know how they can pray, how we can pray for them or thank God with them. And you can do the same thing, uh, or you can grab one of those little green cards back there by the offering box and jot your note on there. And just make sure you give us a way to follow up with you so that I can uh, ask you more about how we're praying for you or pray with you or answer your question or whatever that might be. And if you're giving today, uh, you can drop that in that box as well. That's what that box is for. And, uh, or you can give online uh, like a whole lot of us do these days. Uh, or we just got to check, uh, was that last week, this past week? Sometime recently, somebody uh, doing a distribution from their IRA. So there's all kinds of different ways you can give to, to the church. If you hear like one of the other nonprofits, you know, that sends you letters and all that kind of stuff, inviting you to donate in some different way, uh, any way you can give to some other nonprofit, you can give to Living Hope. So if you want to do a distribution out of your IRA or you want to give a car or something like that, you know, we can, we can figure all that stuff out. Uh, although I don't really need a bunch of cars sitting around, but anyway. I uh, <clears throat> got the jingle in my head now from the radio. Uh, <clears throat> uh, thank you to all of you who give faithfully to, to support the work here and around the world. Uh, one of the things that you've made possible uh, these last couple of months has been this uh, emergency overnight warming center. And uh, we're so grateful uh, that you have um, supported that uh, as a congregation. Some of you with your time, with your energy. Uh, some of you by warmly welcoming our uh, guests who are experiencing homelessness. Uh, some of you, many of you, by your giving uh, that helps provide a warm place and a building. Uh, I can still remember years ago when we were first starting out and we were renting a banquet hall on Sunday mornings and a men's shelter was starting that rotated through the churches and still goes today. And we couldn't host them because we didn't have a building. You know, Now we do. We have a building. We can use it for all kinds of good things, including uh, making sure people have a warm place to be during the winter. That, that is ending this Tuesday night is the last night. So Wednesday morning uh, as they leave here, uh, they'll be heading on to whatever places they're going. And uh, some of them are moving into good situations. Some of them, those situations haven't opened yet. And uh, so please be praying for our neighbors uh, that we have been sheltering for the last couple of months um, as they figure out what's next for them. Uh, there are all sorts of resources in our community, but frankly, there are not enough resources to meet the need at this time. So uh, please be praying, too, for those uh, groups like, uh, well, let's say Mitch Peters over here. Some of you know Mitch. Can you just give me a quick, uh, hey, Mitch. He's sitting over here. Uh, <clears throat> Mitch is intimately involved with uh, Respite House and is working on uh, building, getting a new shelter built here in town that will have a warming center attached so if they can get that whole thing pushed through and raise all the money they need to and get all the work done in time, the next winter uh, there won't be a need for churches like ours to open their doors because there will be a warming center, a place there. They might need volunteers or something, uh, but, uh, so we might still be volunteering, uh, but there will be a different place for folks to, to stay warm overnight. Um, Hopefully, God willing, and uh, all the plans come together. So be praying for Mitch and for those plans as well. And, and of course, uh, every Friday night, this building gets used uh, for a free community meal for Unity Cafe and Wednesdays during the day. And if you know somebody that could benefit from just a, a safe place to socialize, it's not a religious gathering, uh, although there are plenty of Christians here and plenty of conversations that turn toward Christ, uh, it's not a religious uh, event or anything. It's just a safe place for people to socialize, uh, especially if they're recovering from anything. And uh, if you'd like to know more about that, then uh, Sam's the one to, to talk to. So, yeah, thanks, Sam. All right. Uh, so this morning, uh, I'm kind of curious. Uh, is there anything, with, with our schedule all being disrupted uh, just now by the uh, time change and skipping ahead and that hour and losing the sleep, and my words aren't all coming out right because of that. Uh, <clears throat> I'm curious, in your calendar, is there anything that's sacred? Are there, are there any things in your life that you're like, yep, I do not mess with that? I, I make sure I, get, I do that every day, or I make sure I do that every week or every year. This is something that it goes in my calendar and nothing bumps it, nothing moves it. Anybody, anybody have a church for you is one of those things? Okay, great, yeah. Thanks, Mitch. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Any, anything else that is like that for you in your, yeah. Going to the Y? Is that a, is that a daily thing or a week, multiple times a week thing? Three times a week, okay. You make sure you get there and nothing, nothing interferes with that. Anybody else got something that... For you, that's like, yep, that is sacred. That is in my calendar. It does not get 
touched. Everybody else is totally flexible about everything, huh? Like, you can interrupt me anytime. Lewis hydrates 32 ounces of water. You step on the scale, is that what you said? And you stretch. Is that like an every morning thing? Every morning, yeah. Before anything else. Cool. Family dinner for you is sacred. Okay. Nothing, nothing gets in the way of that. Try not to, yeah. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Anybody else got anything like that? Praising and worshiping the Lord for you is one of those things? All right. Cool. Yeah, I was just in a conversation with somebody this last week on Facebook, uh, <clears throat> so I can't remember who I was talking to, uh, but they were talking about, uh, oh, pastors and how much they, they sacrifice sometimes. And uh, he was talking about when he was first starting out as a pastor many, many years ago. And, and, you know, and so that means you miss some big events in your kids' lives and all these other things, but it's worth it or whatever. And I found myself chiming in the comments, man, I'm so glad that my pastor dad you know, made sure that he was, you know, didn't miss those big events, you know, that for us growing up, that was one of those, you know, we had breakfast together every morning, we had dinner together every night that I can remember, Um, we had, there was one night a week, we went out to some fun place, back then it was usually showbiz pizza place, or someplace, someplace fun, you know, we'd we'd go for a meal out together as a family once a week, and, uh, and if there was a sporting event, I'm, I'm sure he missed some, but I don't remember. You know, I don't remember him not being there. I don't remember ever sitting there and looking at the stands and like, oh, dad's not here. You know, never had one of those moments. Um, every year there was some kind of a family vacation where we would do something. We'd go camping. We'd go do something, go to some state park or something and get away for a few days. And uh, every Christmas we'd take a long drive out to Kansas to the farm to see, see family, see grandparents. Uh, I, I was just reflecting on how thankful I am that my dad made some of those things like sacred in his calendar. Uh, didn't sacrifice his family for the sake of, sake of the church that he was pastoring at the time. And uh, I think we need to have some of those things, right? That we say, okay, this is, this is not going to move. Nothing's going to interfere with this, if at all possible. You know, obviously things come up. You know, there are family disasters and, you know, things that happen that, like, interfere. We just all lived through this massive disruption of 2020, right, where all plans got canceled and things, things got changed. But, <clears throat> but uh, as I was reading through Leviticus, which is where we are right now, um, there's, a, there's a section near the end of Leviticus. And this is a weird book. We talked about that last week, and we watched the Bible Project video that just starts out by acknowledging this book is weird, but there's some good stuff in it, right? Um, We've been making our way through the Bible. We had Genesis in January, Exodus last month, Leviticus this month. And uh, we're not going to do this for 66 months in a row. We're not going to get all the way through all 66 books of the Bible, but we are going to hit those first five before we move on to other things. The, the Torah, these are kind of central to the people of Israel, God's, God's people that he redeems from, uh, rescues from slavery in Egypt in Exodus, right? And now has brought them to this mountain of God, and he's, he's laying out for them, here's how you need to live. And Leviticus is all about... Uh, well, one of the central themes is there, I put it in the first verses there in your notes, in Leviticus chapter 20, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. This is a theme that, that repeats throughout the book of Leviticus, that God is holy, he is distinct from everything else, he is unique, and he has called his people to be holy to him. Uh, and that's, that's how he said there, you are to be holy to me because I am holy. I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. God's going to do something special through the people of Israel. And now we're the beneficiaries of that, you know, thousands of years later. Um, but at the time, he's trying to help them see, look, you, you're going to be different. You're going to be special. You're not going to be like everybody else. That's what it means to be holy. Uh, there's kind of two senses of that word holy. Sometimes we read holy and we mean like, you know, pure or righteous or, you know, good, that kind of a sense of holy. Other times we just mean like set apart separated. There, there are the things that are holy, that are devoted to God, and then there are the common things. Um, and that's a big deal in the book of Leviticus. If you've been reading it, you might have, might have noticed. And so, uh, for example, a couple chapters earlier in Leviticus 18, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I'm bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord, your God. Keep my decrees and laws for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am 
the Lord. That last little phrase, people, the person who obeys them will live by them, is one that the Apostle Paul picks up in the New Testament. He uses that a few times. Uh, you hear him say uh, that the person who uh, obeys the law will, will live by them. These are life-giving commands that God gives to his people. The, the pattern of living that he's trying to help them live is something to give them life, not something to take away their life or to spoil their fun or, you know, that sort of a thing. This is not like heavy burdens God is trying to place on his people. Instead, God's trying to say, look, you you lived in slavery back in Egypt, right? And that was no good (laughs) for you. And the life they lived that would make that possible, that was no good either. I don't want you to live like the Egyptians. And I'm bringing you into this land that currently is occupied by all these other folks. I don't want you to live like them either. They're living messed up lives. You know, I don't want you to live like them. I want you to live a different way, a way that is life-giving instead of life-taking or life-draining or, you know, life-crushing. And I think God might say the same thing to us today, right? He has a way he wants us to live that that gives us life. Jesus said, right, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. You know, the devil wants to steal, kill, destroy, but I've come to give life, live it to the full. Um, and so this is what God wants for us, and he wanted for his people Israel, but he knew, okay, I've got I've to give you a, a way of life that's different from those folks. Um, one thing I've noticed uh, as I was reading through Leviticus is that it's one of those books that, uh, that any Christian, <clears throat> uh, no matter what your you know, political persuasion or whatever your leanings, that Leviticus is one of those books where all of us can find something in there that we want to pull out of context and then like apply to today, right? Um, for some folks, it's, uh, you know, there's, there's some verses in here about how to treat foreigners that I've, I've heard lots of my kind of more left-leaning Christians pulling out, how to treat immigrants and foreigners. And there's stuff in, in Leviticus about how to treat them and treat them well, treat them as one of your own. And, and so they, they pull those verses and say, and so this is what our national policy should be, one that's more accommodating to immigrants and to foreigners and, and all the rest. And then I've got uh, maybe folks who are more conservative-leaning who pull out verses about sexuality, uh, homosexuality that appear in Leviticus and say, see, this is what God says, and so that's how we ought to, you know, handle things today. And, and then there are all sorts of things in Leviticus that, uh, honestly, we just kind of ignore, right? I mean, we don't keep any of the kosher food laws uh, like our Jewish neighbors do, right? Um, when, when we do a, a barbecue here at the church, you know, hot dogs are on the menu, you know, and if you can wrap them in bacon, so much better, right? Uh, <clears throat> You know, we don't, we don't follow a lot of the stuff that we find in Leviticus, you know. So, but I do think there are things that we can see in Leviticus as Christians living today that we say, you know what, I, th- I think God was on to something there. Here's what I think God was getting at with that. And Jesus does a lot of that in the New Testament. Uh, when we see him in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he, he continually reaches back to the laws and says, okay, you've heard it said, and quotes one of the laws that I say, and he, and he tries to get at the heart of what God was intending with all this, not necessarily the way we've taken it or what we've done with it. He's saying, this is what God was, was aiming at here. And I think we can do some of that with what he says in Leviticus chapters 23 and, uh, and 25, which is what we're going to look at today. Um, this is near the end of the book, and it has to do with our calendars. It has to do with what we do with our, with our days, with our weeks, with our months, with our years. Um, in Leviticus 23, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals. The appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. He says, these, these are to be sacred times, times set apart for me. Assemblies, where you come together. It's a, it's a festival. It's a party. It's a celebration of something. And he goes on to give them seven of them. Uh, but before he dives into those seven annual festivals, first he says, there are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath, rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. Wherever you live, it is a Sabbath to the Lord. So he starts out, before he gets into the seven annual festivals, uh, he says, look, but every week there's a, there's a little festival. There's a Sabbath day, a day that's supposed to be holy, a day that you're not supposed to work, a day of rest. You might remember this is one of the Ten Commandments, right? It's one that we ignore pretty easily. Uh, but one of the Ten Commandments, it's Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. This might be a pretty important part of this command. I'll come back to it in a second. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, 
the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So in Exodus, as God is giving the law to Moses and Moses carries them down on the stone tablets and all of that, he, he points back to creation. God says, look, this is, this is part of the fabric of creation, the rhythm of life in this world that I've created for you is this rhythm of there are six days to, to labor and one day to rest. There's got to be time of, of work and time of rest. This is how the world works. And so he's commanding them, do this. Because remember, they're just coming out of slavery in Egypt. They didn't get a day off, right? They had to work seven days a week. Sun, you know, sun up to sundown and maybe beyond that, making bricks, building cities, doing the things that, that Pharaoh, king of Egypt, told them to do. And God is bringing them out of that and saying, no, you got to break that pattern. You've been running the treadmill and never stopping. you gotta, you got to stop once a week and just rest. Some of you need to hear that, right? Some of you need to hear, it's going to be okay. I can rest once a week. The world won't stop if I quit running. You know, my, my business won't fall apart if I take one day to close down. And, you know, we've got Chick-fil-A here in town now that kind of has set that example for all of us as far as restaurants go. And it's pretty frustrating for me when I want to go out for lunch on Sunday and they're closed. But, but, you know, but once a week, they just shut down. They're doing all right, you know. Um, whatever you think of Chick-fil-A, you know, they're, they're doing okay business-wise. Um, some of you need to hear that it, it's okay to, to take a day off. And sometimes that includes, like, work that maybe, well, I can remember uh, years ago a friend uh, She's from another part of Indiana and uh, um, was talking about her church, how they always wanted to have meetings on Sunday. You know, everybody's already here. Why don't we just have a quick meeting after the service? Why don't we do this? You know, and there was, and it, like Sunday would just kind of drag on and on to front her, like her whole day was gone. And she would have to tell folks, no, I'm sorry. Uh, my Savior told me I, I get a day off. I get a day of rest. You know, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of church. And she helped make Sunday morning happen. She taught a class. She did stuff, you know, during the service. But she said, I'm not going to fill this day with meetings. Uh, you know, my Savior told me I, I have permission to take one day off, and this is my day off. This is the day devoted to God, not to more meetings and more business. Now, I know for some in our church, you're like, well, I don't have to worry about that anymore. I'm retired, or, you know, you're on disability, or you're just not employed right now, and you're thinking, like, well, I'd love, you know. Maybe you, you got, like, seven days of rest and no days of work or something. And... Uh, <clears throat> But my guess is that you've found things to fill those days in some way. I mean, from what I've heard, talking to folks who are retired, that, like, you need still to have something to do. You can't just sit back and change channels on the TV all day. You know, you, you die pretty quick if that's all you do. You've got to have some purpose. You've got to have some activity. You've got to have something that you're doing, some difference that you're making. Now, this is a, a rhythm that God has baked into creation, uh, this, this rhythm of of work and rest on, on a weekly basis with this idea of Sabbath. And, and it's, it's baked into creation and in Deuteronomy, which we'll get to in a couple of months, uh, when they restate the Ten Commandments, instead of pointing to creation, it's all the same about, you know, don't work, don't let anybody in your family work or any of that. But then instead of pointing to creation, they say, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Again, he's like saying, look, you used to be slaves, but you're not anymore. Quit living like you're a slave. Quit living like you don't get a break. Let me give you a day off, a day to remember that God provides freedom from slavery. And that's where I mentioned earlier that, that bit in the middle about, you know, you shall not do any work, not you, nor your kids, or your servants, or your animals, or any foreigners living among you. Like, this isn't like you can just make other people do your work for you. It's like, you have to give them a break, too. Um, you have to give them a break. You can't make slaves out of others. And you have to make sure that you're treating other people the way you want to be treated. So I'm instructing you to live. This is for everyone, not just for you. And so God wants us to, he's, he's thinking of the servants. He's thinking of even of the animals and thinking everybody needs a break. Everybody needs some rest. Now, before you go and get too legalistic or think I'm getting too legalistic on this. I put in your notes for another perspective. See Romans 14, verses 1 to 9, Colossians 2, 16 and 17, Mark 2, 23 to 28. These are New Testament passages where the Apostle Paul or, uh, or Jesus himself refers back to the Sabbath. They're not all the places, but they're a few of the places 
where like the Apostle Paul basically says, look, don't judge someone else. If, if you know, some people consider one day more sacred than others, other people consider every day alike, to their own master they stand or fall. You know, they got to answer to Jesus, not to you. So if they do this thing differently than you do, don't, don't sweat it. All right, which he's dealing with, you know, people from a Jewish background where Sabbath is like, man, that is central, that is core, there's everything shuts down. I, I've heard from folks who have visited Israel, which I haven't had the chance to do yet, um, that like everything shuts down from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. You know, like they even have for the really hardcore, they have elevators that like you can't even push a button in the elevator on the Sabbath. The, the elevators just, they just go into this Sabbath mode where they just open on every floor and they just cycle through them all. Because to push that button on the elevator would be considered work. You're lighting a fire, which you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath by pushing that button. And so they're going to make sure they follow this rule. So they'll, they'll ride the elevator, but they won't push a button. They get in, you got to wait, and it takes longer, but that's okay. You're resting. You know? um, they make sure. They're, they are hardcore about it, some of them, right? And so the Apostle Paul's got some folks in the church who are, like, are coming from that background. They've, they've put their trust in Jesus as, as Israel's Messiah, and they're realizing all that that means. And they're following the Sabbath, just like God instructed. And then they got folks from all kinds of other backgrounds, all this Gentile folk who, who didn't grow up with that, and who are like, what are, you, what are you guys doing? Why don't you, you know, why don't you eat the, the shrimp? And why don't you work on, you know, why don't you, you know, push the button on the elevator on, on Saturday? And he says, look, just don't, like, judge each other. Don't impose that on each other. You, you do your best to follow Jesus, and don't worry about how they do it. And in Mark chapter 2 is one of the places where Jesus got in trouble for doing stuff on the Sabbath. Sometimes he'd heal people and he had to explain, look, it's okay to do good things on the Sabbath. In this case, he's just, he and his disciples are walking along and they're just picking some grain out of the field and popping it in their mouths as they walk. And, uh, and some, you know, religious folk get upset at him. It's like, hey, why aren't you, why are you doing this on the Sabbath? You're not supposed to harvest on the Sabbath. And Jesus has to explain to him, look, the Sabbath was made from, for people, not people for the Sabbath. You know, it's, we're not slaves to this. This is, this is for our benefit. This is for our good. This is why God has given us this weekly rhythm. Because he wants us to break free of some of the expectations that other cultures might put on us, you know. Whether it's American culture, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You got you to gotta grind. You got to keep going. You can't, you can't stop. You know, got to keep pushing. Work through the night. Work, do whatever you need to do. There's a, there's a work culture that's just unhealthy here in this country. And I suppose there's, like, the opposite thing, too. There's a lazy culture, too, I suppose. And, and God says, look, don't, don't be like those folks or like those folks. Just follow the rhythm that I've, that I've given you, that I've baked into creation. Things flow smoother when you're, when, you're, when you're going along the grain of this world that I've given you. So there's a weekly rhythm. And then he goes on to give, like, an annual rhythm. as he says, These are the Lord's appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies you're to proclaim at their appointed times. And we're not going to look at all of them in detail. He's got the, it starts with, he starts with the Passover, which is that celebration that he gave them back in Exodus when, when the angel of death passed over their homes because they'd put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. And, uh, you know, that, that final miracle, plague, whatever you want to call it, that God did in the nation of Egypt so they would finally be set free, and he gave them this, this celebration, this meal, this Passover to, to remember that and to never forget what God did for them, setting them free from slavery. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a week-long festival that goes right along with that. And then later in the year uh, is this festival of first fruits. It's kind of the early harvest starts coming in, and they celebrate what God has done for them in providing for them. And, and there's this festival of weeks, or Pentecost, um, that, that goes along with that, all this celebrating how God has provided for them. And then, and then in the seventh month, there's the Feast of uh, or the, the Trumpets, Festival of Trumpets, and the Day of Atonement, which we talked about last week some, uh, focusing on how God has forgiven their sins and carried their sins far away and, and how the Holy God is living among them and, and they don't need to continue to live with shame or guilt or the stain of their sin, that, that that's been washed away. And then they have the, the Festival of Tabernacles or booths where they, they go and they live in tents for a week. They make tents in their yards uh, and they remember the way they lived in tents in the wilderness, making their way from slavery in Egypt to the, to the promised land and the ways that God provided for them through that time. Every year, they have these seven different moments that help them. Become, and in each of these, he basically says, and on that day you shall do no work. And for those days you shall do no work. And there's all these sacred assemblies, it's like Sabbaths. You know, he's, he's saying, on these days, you focus your attention and your energy. Everything for the whole community is going to be centered on remembering what God has done for his people. Who you are. You're set apart. You're, you're unique. God is at work in your life. And, and you need to have 
you know, these, these rituals, these practices that remind you of that. So he's got some different things to do throughout the year that, you know, when the, when the harvest comes in, you remember God has provided it, right? And when the, when the anniversary rolls around of that, of that momentous moment of God, God's work, you, you remember that and you celebrate it. Now, we might not celebrate all these seven festivals today, but are there some things that you can celebrate? Are there some moments that you can remember? Uh, I know some people like celebrate the, the anniversary of the moment that they gave their life to Christ. You know, like the day they can remember the day and the time and where they were when they heard a message about how much God loved them and they could be forgiven of their sins. And in that, on that day, in that moment, when they prayed that prayer, they like marked it in their Bibles. They, they celebrate every year like this is the anniversary of when I got saved. You know, maybe there's some other big moment in your life or maybe there's something, some way that God provides for you. Uh, that is, there's a regular time, I guess, when the harvest comes in, it'd be kind of like getting your paycheck or something, I suppose, right? You know, is there something you can do surrounding your, your paycheck, hitting your account, that reminds you, like, yep, God, this comes from you, and I celebrate that, and I, I you know, give back to you, or whatever it is that you do to, to help remember that, that God has provided it? Um, Last week, we were talking about some of those rituals. I was talking about baptism and communion, and uh, I've heard some Christians talk about, like, every day when they take a shower. Like, there's just this little moment as the water's washing over them, that they, they just say a little prayer of thanks to God. Thank you for washing my sins away. You know, I don't think they probably spend their whole shower you know, praying or whatever, but, but when that water hits their skin, they have this, this, this little moment of like, oh yeah, my sins have been washed away. Thank you, God. You know, are there some moments you can build into your day, into your week, into your year that can help you to remember what God has done for you? And then in the next chapter, we're not going to read it, but in Leviticus 24, he has just this brief little interlude of this, these daily things that, that the priest was supposed to do in the temple. Uh, I don't have it. Sorry, that's, that's the next one. Um, but he's got just some daily things, some bread they're supposed to set out every day and some incense that they're supposed to, uh, to burn and some flames they're supposed to keep lit there in the temple every day, reminding them of God's presence with them. I think the incense kind of like the smoke of God's presence and the, and the candles kind of like the, the flame of God's presence that, that they remember God's presence with them every day. So every day there are rhythms. Every week there are rhythms. Throughout the year there are rhythms that remind them of whose they are and what God has done for them. And man, I, I don't know about you, but I can, uh, anything I can get, I need. I, I'm thankful that, you know, that Mitch mentioned that church for him is one of those rhythms. Um, it is for me too. And, and before I was a pastor, it was one of those rhythms for me. <laughs> I kind of have to be here now. But, uh, <clears throat> but even though I don't have to be, right? There are occasions where we're out of town on vacation where we miss church, all right? There are occasions where we're in a place where, like, to get to church would not be easy or whatever, and so we, we kind of miss it that week or we watch a service later or something. Uh, but there are a whole lot of times where we're out of town and we're like, no, we're going to that church. You know, like, there's a church that we enjoy visiting or that kind of thing, and, and we want to be there because we want to sing to God. We want to celebrate. We want to hear the word preached. We want to, you know, celebrate with God's people. And it's kind of fun as a pastor uh, to be able to do that and not have to worry about anything. You know, I don't have to worry about if the internet's working and the stream's going out or, you know, that kind of thing, right? I don't have to worry about if the mic's got fresh batteries. I don't have to worry about, you know, I can just, I can just listen, respond to God, sing, and, and not have to think about any of the other stuff. You know, we, we need these rhythms in our lives, a, a holy calendar, some things that, that maybe should be sacred in our lives. As he gets into Leviticus 25, it even goes beyond that, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move quickly because I know we're getting close to out of time. Uh, Leviticus 25 says, The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. So there was every seven years they didn't plant. They didn't harvest. Can you imagine doing that? It's like every seventh year saying, You know what, it's not going to work this year. You know, I'm just not going to have any income every seven years. That he's, he's giving the land. God, God gives the land a break. And a few verses later, he says in verse 20, You may ask, what will we eat in the seventh year if we do not plant or harvest our crops? I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. Because, you know, it takes some time. Then you didn't harvest, and then you didn't plant, and so the next year's. And he tells them, like, whatever the land happens to produce, you can eat that. But you're not allowed to go out, out of your way and plant. You're not, it just, you know, the land is going to, there's still going to be some, you know, you didn't harvest it, so the, the seed's going to fall and it's going to grow and there's going to be something. Um, it, it kind of is a, uh, in the seven years, it's reminding me anyway of when they were making their way through the wilderness and God provided manna for them every day except on the Sabbath. 
You know, on the sixth day, he provided enough of this manna, this mystery bread stuff, these cornflakes that would appear on the ground, that, that they could collect like a double portion on the sixth day to see them through the seventh day. But any other day they tried to collect extra, it would go moldy and go bad. He, God was training them through the wilderness that you can trust me, I will provide, you can take a break, and I'm still a good God, I can be trusted. And then... He says, count off seven Sabbath years, seven times, seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years amount to appear to 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement. Sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. You might not know this, maybe you do, that when they moved into the, into the land that God's giving them, he, he gives each tribe, each of the 12 tribes of Israel, a certain allotment. And then those are divided up into clans and families. And so your family gets a section of land to work and to, to you know, harvest and all that. Of course, there's a problem sometimes uh, that we all experience, right? Sometimes you like, uh-oh, I got a financial need or whatever. I need to sell some of this land. And you might sell it to a neighbor or they sell it to, or sometimes they'd sell it to a foreigner. They would sell it to somebody. Sometimes they would sell some of their land. Well, what happens after a while? Like all the land is owned by these guys over here and there's all these folks over here with no land and there's what we call today, like wealth inequality or something. You know, like that, that gets way out of whack. And God says, no, no, every 50 years, we're going to do a reset. And everybody gets their land back. It all just goes back to, to the original owners. And so nobody ever actually owned, like bought and sold land. They bought and sold harvests. So you're like, oh, it's uh, 20 years till Jubilee. Okay, this land's going to have 20 harvests, so I'll pay you this much for this land. And uh, they say, okay, great. Because they know that at the end of those 20 years, they're giving it back. And so that's how God wanted it to work. In fact, in verse 23 says, the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine. And you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. <laughs> he said, this isn't your land. This is my land. Which is why when God says, so you need to give it a break every seven years, we're like, oh, okay, it's your land, I'll do what you say. And if somebody had to like, sell themselves as, into like, indentured servitude as a slave, as a servant, to pay off a debt, and they, they sold all their land, they still owed too much, like, so they would sell their labor, um, then again, every 50 years, that would be reset. And, uh, or they could be redeemed, some family member could like, pay off their debt early and redeem them. And at the end of the chapter, it just says, even if someone is not redeemed in any of these ways that he's just detailed that we're skipping, they and their children are to be released in the year of Jubilee, for the Israelites belong to me as servants. They are my servants whom I brought out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So God, can you imagine if we structured our economy that way? <laughs> I mean, God's, God's saying, look, this all belongs to me. You belong to me. So you can't even sell yourself, you know, you can sell your labor, sure, but but you belong to me. And so the land, I'm giving rest. You, I'm giving rest. He says, you belong to me. And God wants to make sure that people are taken care of. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that next week, the idea of uh, God's care for people and how much that matters to him. Um, but for now, I just want to say, like, as Leviticus draws to a close in chapter 26, there's 27 chapters. The 27th chapter is about redeeming people and stuff, a little bit like what we were just talking about. But chapter 26 is, is this, uh, if you obey, things will go great. If you disobey, they won't. Um, if you listen to what I've told you to do, if you obey all these things I've commanded you to do, then you're going to have this amazing life, abundant blessings. And he goes into some detail. Or if you don't, then there are consequences. And he goes into some of those consequences. And, and some of those, near the end, he says, if in spite of this you still do not listen to me, but continue to be hostile toward me, I'll scatter you among the nations and will draw up my sword and pursue you. Your land will be laid waste and your cities will lie in ruins. Then the land will enjoy its Sabbath years all the time that it lies desolate and you're in the country of your enemies. Then the land will rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. All the time that it lies desolate, the land will have the rest it did not have during the Sabbaths you lived in it. He's saying, look, if you don't do these things, I'm going to make sure the land gets its rest. And get, uh, I'll move you off the land so that, it, so that it gets a break. And sure enough, if you read 2 Chronicles 36, which is kind of a part of the history of the people of Israel, it's getting to the end of that particular history. It's when the Babylonians come and take them off into exile. And it says, and that's what happened for 70 years. They were in exile, and the land got its Sabbaths. It's like, it's like God is saying, look, this matters, and this will happen. It's a little bit like, well, it's like what happened to me when we started this church back in 2000. Uh, you know, we're starting a new church. 
there's a lot of work to be done. I wasn't paying particularly close attention to whether I took my day off, right? And, uh, you know, we started it in, uh, well, kind of throughout the summer and launched weekly services in September of 2000. And, and by the time Mother's Day 2001 rolled around, uh, I had gotten into this bad habit of just spreading my work out across all seven days. I was doing a terrible job of, of keeping one day set apart to rest, to recuperate, to recover. And by Mother's Day, I was sick. <laughs> I lost my voice, which is really problematic if I'm supposed to stand up and talk for, for 20 or 30 minutes on a Sunday. And um, I tried one week. I think Stacy tried. You know, Stacy filled in for me. You remember how much you loved that? Uh, <clears throat> which Stacy's excellent. You can, can speak in public, no problem. But when I'm like on Sunday morning saying, Can you preach this message for me? I can't talk. You know, she's like, What am I supposed to do with your notes? Okay, fine. And during that time, I stumbled across this, these passages and felt like God was saying to me, like, well, yeah, you'll, I'm going to make sure you get the break that you were supposed to be giving your, your body. You didn't give it a break, and so now I'm going to make sure you get a break. And, and you know what? It just about worked out that the amount of time I was sick and didn't have a voice was about the number of days, if I counted back, like that's about the number of Sabbaths I should have taken from the time we launched the church until, until now. Um, this is how we're created. That's how we're made to live. And so we, even though we're not going to get legalistic about it, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, the New Testament is pretty clear, like, look, this, you don't have to do this. Uh, we kind of ignore it at our own peril, I think. You know, we're, we're working against the grain of the universe. Uh, we're, we're conforming to some other idea of who we're supposed to be. That says, no, you're just a, you know, you're just a machine. You got to keep working. You're, a, or you're a slave. You got to do this. Or, you know, it, I included in your notes the Apostle Paul in Romans 12 saying, "Do not conform to the pattern of this world. You know, don't be like the Egyptians or the Canaanites or whoever, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, perfect will. Like what God wants for you is good and pleasing and perfect." And that's what I think God is, one of the things God is trying to teach his people during this time in the wilderness, during this time uh, as he's giving them all these weird commands in Leviticus. He's trying to say, look, if you'll trust me, if you'll do life the way I'm, I've created you to live it, then life will go better. You'll enjoy more peace. Uh, you'll, you'll experience more joy than if you try to do everything yourself. If you, if you ignore uh, kind of the, the pattern of life that I've created you to live. That, that ends in pain. But man, I want something better, pleasing, perfect for you. So I included the first verses of Psalm 23 that just remind us, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Do you have some rhythms in your life where you have a chance to, to lie down, where you have a chance to be refreshed, we have a chance to be reminded, okay, God, you're my shepherd. I'll quit charging ahead thinking I got it. You're in charge. You're running the show. I belong to you. Everything I have belongs to you. Okay, I'll, I'll trust you. When we do that, I mean, even as the rest of Psalm 23 says, even if we go through some dark valleys, even if we go through some difficult times with enemies, God continues to provide for us and walk with us and never leaves us. Or as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I have the feeling that some of us have been trying to live up to everybody else's expectations, uh, trying to live our lives the way maybe somebody in the past told us we needed to, or, or somebody that we admire is, is, seems to be living theirs. Or uh, Would you just trust God enough to let him set the agenda for your life? To let him tell you like, hey, this is the rhythm I want you to live. Would you pay attention to your body? Would you pay attention to the world? Would you pay attention to God? And let him, I don't know, build some rhythms in. It, it might take some work. I mean, it, it's going to mean some changes. And the people of Israel did not live this out perfectly by far. That In their history, they did end up in exile because they didn't do what God told them to do. I, I don't want to repeat that in my life, what I did all those years ago. I don't want to see you fall into that either. So will we let God be in charge?
Will we trust that he really can provide for us? Will we rest knowing that he is our good shepherd and that he leads us well? Let's bow our heads and let's pray to him before we celebrate communion together. God, we are grateful for your love, for your goodness, for your faithfulness. We're, we're grateful that you don't just, uh, just forgive our sins and then leave us to kind of roam around trying to figure things out, but you actually give us some direction for life. You give us some models for uh, like things to think about, things to reflect on. And while we know this isn't like, we're not going to get legalistic about it, uh, God, we do want to, we want to learn. We want to, we want to reflect. We want to somehow line our lives up with yours. So, God, I believe that you are at work in every person's life who is listening to my voice right now, whether they're here in the room or watching online. And I believe that you are saying some things to us. To some of us, you might be saying, yeah, it's okay to slow down. It's okay to take that break. It's okay to focus on your family during that day. It's okay to focus on yourself for that time. It's okay to rest, to be refreshed. I give this to you as a gift. It's what I want for you. It's part of my good and pleasing and perfect will for your life. Some of us, God, you might be saying the opposite. You might be saying, okay, come on, time to get moving again. You've rested long enough. God, I, I trust that you are at work in our lives and you are speaking by your Holy Spirit. So would you help us to pay attention to you? Perhaps to quiet ourselves long enough to hear you speak. When we do, God, when we feel that nudge, or when you slam us in the head with a two-by-four by making us sick or something else, God, would you help us to pay attention to what you are saying to us? Would you help us to live our lives according to the rhythms that you want for us? So that we can be loving you with all that we are and loving our neighbors as ourselves so that we can live a, a healthy, good life that you created us to live. Thank you, God. Thank you for rescuing us from a life of slavery to others' expectations, to our own internal voice, to whatever it is that tries to keep us from listening to you and knowing ourselves to be your children. Help us, God, to know that we belong to you. You have purchased us at such a high price. We, we remember that. We celebrate it each and every week in the celebration of communion. We offer to you these gifts of bread and juice, and we pray that by your Spirit's presence here, we might meet our crucified and risen Savior in his body and in his blood. Remembering that, that night that Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples. And, and instead of just celebrating a, a historical event, you're rescuing them from slavery in Egypt. Jesus, you pointed out what was being done right then in you. He said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. When you eat this, when you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. And we do remember, Lord Jesus great price that you paid to purchase our freedom from sin so that we don't need to conform any longer to the pattern of this world so that we can be transformed our minds renewed seeing ourselves differently seeing the world differently thank you god we offer ourselves to you today we, we lift our hearts to you in thanks and praise and we acknowledge that we have not always loved you with our whole hearts. We have not always loved our neighbors as ourselves. We've not always lived the life you created us to live. Thank you, God, that in Jesus Christ you have removed our sin from us. Thank you that we are washed clean by your grace, by your love. Thank you, Jesus, for taking our sin on yourself and by your death on that cross and your resurrection from that grave, you conquered sin and death and the devil. You broke their power over us and you set us free. Help us to live in that freedom. We will continue, God, to give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.
Would you pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught us? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Uh, Doug and Mary are going to come and lead us in one last song as we celebrate communion together. I'll be here with this basket of bread and this cup of juice. And as we sing, you're invited to come forward, take bread from the basket, dip it in the juice, and eat it, and return to your seats. It's open to all of us who are saying yes to Jesus today. Uh, all of us who are hungry for his grace, who are grateful for his love. Um, We've got the regular bread and the gluten-free wafers and the little cups if you want one of those. Or if you don't want to join the crowd, you can grab a little cup off one of the tables and, and peel it back and get to the bread and peel it back and get to the juice. But this is, this is our moment to say thank you, God, <laughs> for the love you've shown us in Jesus Christ. Uh, to experience his grace in a, in a tangible, touchable, tasteable way. So let's celebrate. Let's give thanks. Thank you, God, that you didn't expect us to clean up our act first, but you invited us dirty, rotten sinners to come home to you and find in you the grace and forgiveness and mercy that we so desperately need. Today, would you fill us with the spirit of Christ so that we might live in this world as the body of Christ, carrying your grace and your goodness to everyone you send us to. Thank you, God. 
Thank you. You have been so good, and we are so grateful. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, may the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.